episode 15 alexander the great podcast hope everyone is okay thank you very much for your messages thank you very much for your donations if you wish to donate to the podcast the link is in the description for you to find it straight away i don't want to make it difficult for you um please write a review on itunes and the winning review will get a gift sent all the way from greece i will read it at the end of the podcast hope you like the podcast please let me know what you think bye bye philip a few episodes ago, hired Aristotle as Alexander's tutor. Spefsipos, who is director of the academy, thought this would be the best time to send a letter to Philip asking him for protection. He is probably worried Aristotle would badmouth him and have him executed. Spefsipos reminds Philip that his brother Perdiccas got along well with the academy, so he should too. In the same letter, he says some nasty things about Isocrates. Isocrates is the Athenian orator that persuaded Philip to unite Greeks against the Persians. So he was Philip's friend. Spepsipos's goal is to diminish Isocrates' influence and regain some of the academy's influence. Philip doesn't take him seriously and decides to write him on his balls, as we say in Greece. Se grafos is what we would really say, meaning I don't care about you. In Greece, if you want to ignore <laughs> something or someone, you would say I'm writing you on my balls. But... Uh, and this is where it gets interesting, you can also use it for people who are uncontrollable or are, um, you know, are being idiotic or something. So if you have a friend who's being a dick to the waiter, you would tell him, don't be an archivi, mate, don't be a testicle, because our testicles are our only body part that we can't control. And since ancient Greece, it has been used as an insult. Now, back to our previous story, which gives us an insight to Philip's character. Firstly, that he is loyal to his friends. So what? That Spefsipos wants to be friends. He's being a dick, right? So fuck him. And secondly, that you can't take the opinion of a few Athenian politicians like the Mosthenes and Yisipos and think that they express Athens' opinion as a whole. There are some intellectuals, like Spepsipos, that liked what Philip was doing, and of course Isocrates, right? The pseudo-Macedonians, this is where it gets a bit annoying, are using the Mosthenes' speeches to prove that the ancient Greeks did not consider the Macedonians to be Greek, because he said somewhere in his speeches that they were barbarians. Now, the Mosthenes probably thought anyone who isn't from Athens is a barbarian. But anyway, fucking hell. Moving on. In 342... Some Greek cities in Thrace ask Philip to help Kersovleptis, who is living quite the reckless life and is stealing from anyone who passes by him. Kersovleptis and the Thracians in general are not known for their farming skills or having great shepherds or none of that wimpy stuff for them. What's the point in taking care of your own fields or animals when you can just steal from your neighbours? This made the Thracians a tough and feared group of people. Kersovleptis' army is mostly just light cavalry and infantry, which are called peltastes, due to their shield. It's a kind of wicker shield, allowing them to move much faster than most Greek soldiers. Can't imagine it did very well against someone hitting them with a sword, but it would stop some arrows from reaching their target. Kersovleptis' goal is to unify all tiny, scattered tribes of 
Thrace and have him rule over them. Thrace has at least five times the population of Macedonia, many wealth-producing resources, plus that it would allow Philip to have direct communication with Asia Minor, which would be desired if a campaign against Persia would take place. Kersovleptis formed an alliance with a man called Tiris, son of Amadokos, talked about him in the second episode, might ring a bell, might not. Kersovleptis is looking for an alliance, which might mean he is scared of Philip. He's the only one nearby that can really stop him. Philip knows he is going to be away for a while, so before all this takes place, and appoints Adipatros, or you might know him as Antipater, as regent. We see Antipater representing the Macedonians in the Pythian games as well. Not representing, he wasn't running in the races, of course, he was representing Macedonia, right? <laughs> Alexander is still just 14 years old. He was still studying with Aristotle, as we talked about last time, meaning that it's not yet his time, his time to be given the regency. Antipater must have been good at his job, because we see Alexander in, th- in uh, five to eight years from now, So in 334, he was again appointed to guard Greece while Alex was off fighting the Persians and the rest of Asia. Our sources for this episode come from Demosthenes, Justin and Diodoros. Diodoros has only a paragraph on the campaign, so not that much really. Demosthenes talked about it in his speech about Hersonisos. He says that Philip was in Thrace for 11 months with the sole purpose to conquer them. The speech was given in 341. Now, we know that Philip was in Thrace from 342 to 340. He was either there continuously or intermittently. He's going to use the amazing Macedonian phalanx and the companion's cavalry, or in Greek, the eteri, the elite cavalry of the Macedonian army. The Thracians were known for their guerrilla warfare, so the best way to find them was fight them was with swift and agile soldiers. So he used cavalry and infantry from Thessaly. He hired archers from Crete and lads from Illyria that used slingshots. We get this from Thymosthenes in his third Philippic, a speech that is given a little bit after his about Hersonius' speech. He tells us Philip was equipped with light infantry, cavalry, archers and mercenaries, which couldn't have been many because he asks Antipater to send some extra soldiers at some point. From this, we can see that Philip is perfectly capable of commanding any type of soldier, not just the typical Macedonian. Alexander kept this characteristic, as we will see in the future. We see Philip start from the center of Thrace. He already controlled the coastal sections close to the Sea of Marmara and the Vosporus. He first conquers the people around the valley of Strimona, so the Sindus, Medus and the Agrianes. The Agrianes are very important people. They are um, they're going to be Philip, Philip's and then Alexander's most loyal allies. Uh, Arian loves talking about them. Their specialty is going to be the javelin, the specialty, <laughs> the special. Um, then he goes to the Nestos River, to a town that he founded, Philippus, and he conquers a city to its west, Mastira, it was called then, and he renames it to Philippopoli. So Philip's town, Philippus and Philippopoli. Uh, Philippopoli is today's 
uh, Plovdiv in Bulgaria. Then he goes, then he captures the Riskos, and after that he, cap- he captured Kersovleptis and Tiris's kingdoms. He will then head towards Cardia and Hersonisos without going near the Athenian forts, being the very respectful lad he is at this moment at least. And from there he goes northeast and reaches Redesto. Today the town is named Visanti. By the year 341, the kingdoms of Kersovleptis and Tiris belonged to Philip. The rest of the Greek tribes in Thrace wholeheartedly form an alliance with Philip. From the Mosthenes about Hertonius' speech, we see that Philip was a bit under the weather for a few days. So he takes some time off, so the campaign takes a break, right? No king, no campaign, you can't go to war without a king. So they are forced to fight during the winter. Hard fuckers, this Macedonians, right? They, they simply don't stop. This was not really done, you know? It's very um, unconventional, alternative uh, military campaign, you know? The, 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 it's how they thought, it's very... Interesting. After Thrace was conquered, Philip founded cities in various strategic part of parts of Thrace. Then he co- then he goes towards Odessa, Odesso in Greek, a Greek town on the foot of Emos, a mountain range in the Balkans. Odessa was taken by some Gete tribe, Gete guards, a Thracian-related tribe, nomads that lived on the lower side of the Danube. Philip's army was ready to attack. But just as the gates opened, some white-dressed priest came walking out with music and songs and that kind of thing, so the Macedonians stopped the attack. Turns out the priest just wanted to talk. They warned in the mood for fighting and agreed to leave town and some prisoners a nice little gift for Philip. The king of the Getty, a a man called Kothilas, signs a peace treaty with Philip. He sends him gifts and his daughter, Mida, for Philip to take as his wife. One of the first male-in bribes, probably, but probably not, could have been done before. Uh, something similar, poor ladies, what, what have women been through? Seriously, fucking hell. Um, but uh, to be honest, though, the same happened to Philip. He was sent to Thebes for a few years. Uh, something similar happened with a Scythian king, a man called Atheas. He was king of a town called, uh, today it's called Dovrutsa, Dovrutsa, very strange, lovely little Greek, (laughs) um, Greek uh, city. Philip helped him with a few soldiers and he promised to adopt Philip and if anything was to happen to him, Philip would get his kingdom. So the Macedonian kingdom at this moment reaches until the Istro River, as it was called then, today we call it the Danube. After a year of hard battles, Philip is proud and happy with his new conquest, of course, so he returns to Pella. The year is 341. He implements a tax of 10% to Thrace, so anything they make, 10% goes to Macedonia. Local leaders are appointed as rulers of the small little town, divide and rule at its finest, right? Or in Greek, vieri ke vasileve, a motto that is credited to Philip, which uh, which means that there were local people who liked Philip, right? Enough to be allowed by him to rule. So it looks like it's a matter of time until eastern Greece is completely occupied. We see him working towards his goal of capturing the former Greek cities in Asia Minor. Athens' position against Philip, with the whole Alonisos thing and not agreeing with the common peace, definitely pushed him 
to make this decision. Though he isn't angry enough to attack Athens's forts in the Thracian Peninsula, I imagine they were annoyed with him being there. Philip is devoted to their alliance, at this, as all his movements show. I remind you a few episodes ago he didn't attack Karistos, a city in Evia, even though he helped any city wanting their independence from Athens. We have also mentioned that Philip made an agreement with the great king Artaxerxes of Persia. The agreement was that you don't attack me and I don't attack you. In the episodes about Aristotle, we met a man called Hermias. In 342, this lad, Hermias, asked Philip for help against Mentoras, a Greek from Rhodes, who was general of the satrapies in the west of Asia Minor. Philip agrees to help Hermias. He doesn't care about his agreement with the Persians. I guess you could say he, I guess you could say he wrote him on his balls, as the Greeks say. Ha ha. Uh, Artaxerxes hears about this and orders for them to bring Hermias to Susa, where he was tortured with the goal being to find out if Philip is going to campaign against him. Hermias doesn't give them what he wants. He either didn't know or simply doesn't snitch. Um, so Artaxerxes was being suspicious of Philip. He knew he was up to something, therefore removing him of the people he can trust. Kalias from Chalkida wants to start a league in Evia. This puts him against Philip for some reason. We don't exactly know why. So Kalias asks Athens for help. Demosthenes was happy with these turn of events and was talking the Athenians into sending help to Kalias. It's interesting that Kalias doesn't ask Athens if he can join the Athenian alliance, but he wants to form his own. In the end, all cities of Evia join this Evian League, all apart from Karistos, who was still part of the Athenian alliance. Kalias started raiding any ships he found in the Parasitic Gulf. He preferred commercial ships that were traveling to Macedonia. For this, he had Athens' help. At the same time, Demosthenes sends embassies to Peloponnesus, asking them to help take down Philip. Because Demosthenes agreed for Evia to form their own league and not be part of the Second Athenian alliance, Aeschines is suspicious and tells everyone that Demosthenes was bribed. This doesn't make any sense. Demosthenes gave eight talents out of his own pocket and a trireme to Callias's cause. Most Athenians agree and the charges were not taken any further. This is Aeschines simply trying to make Demosthenes payback for all the shit he was, he's been through so far, right? It hasn't been easy <laughs> being Aeschines against Demosthenes. Athens had sent one of Aeschines' friends, the Opiphys, together with some mercenaries to protect the Athenian forts in Thrace. The Opiphys thinks he's uh, clever and unstoppable, and he attacks Philip's friends from Cardia. More specifically, the villages Crovilli and Tiristati. He also captured a number of citizens. Philip hears about this and sends his friend Amphilochos and asks to let them free. There must have been a mix-up, right? These people are friends with Philip. You know, you don't want to see him angry. The Opithis couldn't care less who they were friends with. He decides to keep Amphilochos as hostage for a while and he lets him go, only after he was tortured a little bit. The soldiers the Opithis had were mercenaries. 
when the money was running short and he knew he was going to have trouble paying them, he started robbing from commercial ships that were traveling to Macedonia, from general to pirate. It wasn't his fault, of course, it was the environment. Um, Philip's, friend from, uh, Philip's friends in Cardia start pestering him until he gives in and sends actual military power and a few ambassadors to Athens telling them to sort out the Opithis, who has of course forgotten every diplomatic protocol. The Mosenis replies to Philip's embassy was his speech about Khersonisos that we've been talking about. He says basically that Philip has no jurisdiction in Thrace and that the soldiers were there to protect Athenian interests. We are already at war, guys. The Opithis is protecting us, is what he said. Uh, we have to encourage him and not discipline him. He says Philip's goal is to enslave all of Greece and destroy Athens. He talks again about forming an army in the north to protect Athenian acquisitions. This army has to then form alliances with other cities and then go against Philip. And seeing that Philip is an enemy of democracy, anyone who has been paid by him has to be executed. In his third and fifth Philippic, he goes a step further and recommends Athens form an alliance with Persia. Now, and then, after having an alliance with them, he would ask for money or military help. He says any politician that defends Philip should be executed, seeing that they are traitors. <laughs> Fucking hell, Demosthenes, a bit harsh, but moving on. Also, additional tax has to be put in place to fund this campaign against Philip without mercenaries, but Athenian citizens. Egesippos agrees with everything Demosthenes says, the other Athenians agree that um, the Opithis is doing everything right, so they vote to send Charitas with their triremes to help out. They don't agree with executing anyone who talks favorably of Philip. Philip is not just going to sit there, right, and take it. In the summer of 340, he invaded the Thracian Chersonisos, so where the Athenian forts are located. He doesn't go straight for them. He started from Cardia, then sailed west and settled in a narrow pass where ships chillaxed while storms passed through. He's basically showing the Athenians, I got you by the balls, motherfuckers. If he wanted to, he could attack the forts and it's all over. There's not a thing they could do. The Opithis by this stage has died, we don't know how, so the Athenians appoint Charitas, who has taken charge of the army. Charitas doesn't make a move against Philip, perhaps he's scared, because he doesn't have the resources to fight him, of course, or he's waiting for the order to be sent by Athens. Philip sends a letter to Athens, a letter we still have to this day. It starts off by saying, Come on, guys, I have more than a few complaints about the way you're treating me. And how can he not, right? The guy he sent, Amphilochos, he ended up getting tortured. The pirates keep stealing his stuff. About Alonisos, you know, we talked about a few episodes ago. He says they should be ashamed of themselves for asking help from the Persian king. He gives them a wee history lesson. <laughs> Once you criticized Pisistratos for asking help from Persia, and now you're doing the same. He ends the letter by saying, because you started being unjust, and because of my tolerant position, you became more aggressive and harmed me as much as you could. 
I shall confront you by having every right by my side. And as the God is my witness, I'm going to see that you treat me as you should. Fucking hell, Philip is getting pissed off. So having known all that, I will let you decide who declared war first. The Athenian Ecclesia agrees ascending ambassadors all over Greece. The Mostenis takes Peloponnesos and Western Greece. The Megareans, Corinthians, Achaeans, Acarnanians, Lefkadans, Corfusians, so people from Corfu or Kerkira as we say in Greece, and the Amrakians agree with the Mostenis. The Argians, Messinians, Arcadians, Ilians preferred Philip's friendship. The Mostenis then went north towards Hersonisos and talked with Avdiro Perinthus or Perinthos and Byzantium. Perinthus and Byzantium had an alliance with Philip, but the Mostenis manages to take them with his side. He tells them they're in danger having Philip as their friend and Athens as their enemy. Iperidis, poor lad, he ain't no Demosthenes, he fails to convince Hios and Rhodes to become their ally, even though they didn't like Philip. Also, Thessaly and Magnesia stay true to their alliance with Philip. Then the Athenians send ambassadors to Artaxerxes of Persia, who hasn't forgotten the last time he asked for help from Athens and was told to take a hike. Apparently, he agreed to send them some money to help them with the cause, but denied entering an alliance with them. An orator named Ephialtes was sent to Persia. He came back with some money, but when he returned to Greece, Iperidis and Demosthenes uh, told him to hand it over and they will look after it. And that's <laughs> the last we hear about money coming in from Persia. From Dinarchos, an orator from Athens, we learned that he openly accused the Mosthenes and Iperides of accepting a bribe from the Persian king. But, you know, was it really a bribe, though, or was it just money that was being sent to Athens to help with this, you know, crappy situation they have? And then in the end, it was lost, you know. Um, but you can't overestimate how lucky Philip was here, right? If the Persians and Athenians worked it out, things could have turned out very differently. In the spring of 340, Philip made his move for the Athenian for the Athenian forts in the north. Oh yes, it's on. In 340, representatives of the League of Evia, Megara, Corinth, Achaeans, Acarnanians, so from all over Greece, not just from Evia, from Peloponnesos, Lefkada and everywhere, agreed to form an alliance with the goal being to take down the Macedonian king. The Athenians would of course be in charge and everyone manages to put together a hundred triremes, 10,000 infantry mercenaries, a thousand cavalry and a few citizens that would be called up in case they were needed. The money would be put together by additional tax, but to start off, Evia gives 40 talents and the Achaeans with the Megareans give 60 talents. So it's starting off very well. The Athenians knew who they should thank for putting all this together, right? This lovely little alliance and whatnot, Demosthenes, of course. He is given a golden wreath in the theatre of the mighty Dionysus at the annual festival of our favourite god of wine. An important date in the career of Demosthenes. We see that the majority of Athenians recognise the mind of the great orator. 
Then Athens sends some of their army to Evia and Peparintho, today known as Skopelos. They are hoping to help them kick out the Macedonians. Kalias from Chalkida, using Athenian triremes, disembarked in the Parasitic Gulf. He manages to capture some Macedonian ships and sell the crew as slaves. Peparithos then occupied the Macedonian guard in Alonisos, and Philip then sent his army and recaptures the island. It's around this time the Athenians arrest Philip's mailman in Thrace. He had two letters with him, one for Olympias, his lovely wife, mother of Alexander the Great, which they gave back to him without opening it, and the other one they took to Athens so they can study it in more detail. It's also around this time Athens arrests a citizen from Oropos, a small town outside of Athens, who has been sent by Olympias to buy some stuff from the Athenian market. Apparently, that was his excuse, at least. They didn't buy it. The man-slash-spy was taken to court and represented by Eschines, who was, the man of course, not Eschines, sentenced to death. So Philip isn't getting much love from Athens, right? Uh, even in uh, Olibia, a city in Ilia, on the western part of Peloponnesos, are starting to have a different opinion about Philip. In 340, Philip gave the order for Alexander to return from Mieza, where he has been studying under Aristotle. It's time he returns to Pella and assumes his duties as regent. Philip is probably thinking the lad could use some discipline, enough philosophy and biology and all those lovely little things they're learning. It's time to get your hands proper dirty. Regent to the king is serious business. Also, there are stories going round, apparently, that Alexander is lacking in the heterosexual department. Philip has no problem with this. He completely gets it. You need a bit of dick every now and again. Keeps a mind healthy, as uh, Peter O'Toole said in Caligula. Caligula, what an amazing film. He played Tiberius, by the way. And um, he could see Alex getting a bit cozy with Hephaestion or Hephaestionus in Greek. The lads are up to something, right? You know, they can't get off each other probably. Olympias apparently even found him an escort from Thessaly, a banging chick called Calixina, a perfect 10 for the time. You know, go on Alexander, you might like it, you never know. But Alexander was not interested in this. As regent to the king, he has far more interesting things on his mind. More about that on the next episode. Now let's read this week's winning review. It's from a man called Conbarge, Conbarge, in Australia, wow, uh, the title is History Accessible, Humorous, Informative, wow, thank you, five stars, thanks again. Now, the review says, thank you for this brilliant podcast, Michalis, thoroughly enjoying listening to your episodes, especially the level of humor you add to each one, super easy to pick up and dive straight in. All the info is prefixed with sources and you provide a wonderful narrative around Alexander and the great Hellenic world. Bravo, Levedi. Uh, thank you very much, mate. Uh, mate, uh, please uh, send me an email on uh, alexandros.cast at gmail.com or if you find me on uh, Facebook, what is it? Alexander the Great Podcast. Send me your details then. I will send you a little gift all the way from the Patrida from Greece. Um, 
That's about it, lads. See you later.